0: This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio. Great to have you back for another episode Uh, today. We're talking with Ross Caton from High Calibre Cleaning Supplies. Uh, Contact me if you want to have a chat. He's actually an English native that uh, relocated, migrated to Australia and his business sells a range of products. So we thought we'd get him on, talk about the products but also uh, talk about his time in England, uh, the differences between Australia and the United Kingdom especially when it comes to uh, gun ownership, hunting and also how he integrated into the Australian lifestyle of hunting and shooting in Australia. So we're going to talk about that. I think it's going to be a great show. Uh, of course as usual want to thank all my Patreon supporters that keep the show going. Thank you very very much I do appreciate it. You guys know who you are. Uh, by the time we actually probably release this show uh, i will have drawn out the competitions for patreon supporters for that spotting scope that i was giving away Uh, also some 223 reading dies and also some 270 lee dies so uh by the time you hear this show i should have already released that who the winners were so if you want to be on patreon join us you get all the shows in advance at patreon.com forward slash ahp if you don't want to join that then of course it'd be great if you could just share the show with someone share it with your friends and family share it on facebook instagram uh twitter all that good stuff that would that's enough support as well that's fantastic people keep asking me about how you hear the show it's always the same guys so it's iTunes of course you can go on the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au uh, you can also find us on the Podbean app you can also find us on Stitcher and i also upload the podcast to YouTube which is coming more and more popular uh, not it's not the main source of the people that download the show uh, but certainly it adds to some extra listenership which unfortunately i can't track because it's not part of uh, my server main Podbean account where i can actually do the proper tracking but that's okay people enjoy it on there people like it and they like listening to it on youtube when they're you know driving around going to work going on holidays for a hunt Uh, there's always a way to access the show and of course if you can leave me a comment rate on itunes that'd be absolutely fantastic we've got a few on there now almost close to about 300 reviews which is actually fantastic Uh, so i want to thank everyone that left uh, reviews on itunes tunes. I really do appreciate it. We've also got heaps coming up over the probably next couple of months. I'm going to try something a little bit different too. Uh, Perhaps another straight shooting might get some people on, might run that solo and get a a few different people on the show as part of straight shooting, maybe with some small segments. Uh, Going to concentrate a little bit too, especially if you hunt on public land, uh, going to do a bit of a, a tips and tricks, you might say, on uh, I guess my experience, but my friends' experience and people that I know giving their main. Uh, tech tips and techniques on the best ways to hunt public land and uh, there's a lot of public land hunting you know victoria uh, new south wales you've also got the northern territory south australia unfortunately queensland and uh, the wa are still uh, lagging quite behind but that's okay Uh, hopefully they'll get there one day but yeah we're going to do a bit of a tips and tricks and going to talk to different people as well to find out what their best tips and tricks are and how they you know, differentiate from my tips and tricks from each individual person and getting a different perspective from a lot of different people so i think that's going to be fantastic as well again we're crossing the ditch to another guest i've got most likely from south africa a really nice guy too so we're going to cross to south africa again uh we're, and we're crossing to all parts of the world on this show because that's what people like people email me and they like the international guests and frankly you know what i do too i really enjoy that uh Hearing different perspectives because again, like I always say, hunting, shooting and fishing is definitely universal. And we all have a passion for whether it's you know, shotgunning, pistols, rifles, whatever it may be, we love it. And hopefully we can do it and pass that tradition down to your kids uh, so they can continue this wonderful pastime. So I think we should get into the show with Ross Caton from High Caliber Cleaning Supplies. Ross Caton, welcome to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Great to have you here talking about your products and um, I guess being an English native. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. No worries. Excellent, mate. First off, uh, tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah, so um, born and bred in in England in in a county called Suffolk um, where I grew up there uh, fishing and hunting. A uh, lot, a lot of fishing and, and hunting as much as I could. Uh, it's it's quite a different scene um, over there than it is here. It's just very heavily regulated and all the rest. But, um, yeah, and then I came here when when I was 21 and, um, yeah, lived in Australia pretty much most of my adult life. I'm now 30.
0: No worries. Which one's more regulated, do you think, is, uh, Australia or England?
1: England so very much so there's no not there's very little um, public land access at all uh, everything's very heavily regulated um, from you know firearms ownership to land access
0: yeah right and how did you get into was it family tradition dad hunted um, something you got interested you know from a friend or a family friend or what was it
1: well, yeah, that's um, – so my uncle um, on my mum's side was a gamekeeper and deer warden, so mostly through him. But growing up in a semi-rural area, um, I had other friends who were um, – other friends and family friends who were into hunting and shooting as well.
0: No worries. And what about – what sort of game were you hunting over in England? What was your, you know, your go-to species growing up?
1: I think the go-to species is definitely rabbits, I would say. Um, I just – more of the properties that I'd had, the properties that I had access to had had more rabbits on them, um, you know, and, and all year round. In the summer, it's thick with them and the farmers almost, you know, they want to pay you to go on there and, and knock them down. Um, but a lot of birds too, I'd say probably equal with birds, pigeon, crow, um, pheasant um you know or, or partridge all of those type of things as well like pigeon pigeon shooting's massive over there all of you know your fair weather hunters they all come out for a pigeon hunt
0: i know uh, i've been watching those videos and i've uh, interviewed quite a number of people from from england and uh we haven't spoke so much about pigeon shooting but when i see i think it's oh, what's the show i uh, field sports britain with charlie Jacoby. i've had him on the show before and you know they're always doing a lot of pigeon hunting i think man I, I must admit, I do have a very very strong soft spot for the shotgun and, and wing shooting. <laughs> probably one of my favourites uh, these days. Uh, probably not as much as it used to be, but definitely right up there. And uh, I see the pigeon shooting. I see some of these guys, you know, laying away, you know, 100, 200, 300 on some good days if it, if it you know, presents itself. And I think, shit, man, I've got to get over there. I might have been born in the wrong country, especially when it comes to wing shooting.
1: Yeah, no, the pigeon shooting's awesome. I think the best we ever did, there's only ever about three of us. We didn't go in these big groups, but I think we got about, we never really got the magic hundred mark. We were always close though. Like maybe 98 was maybe our best, but yeah, we used to go on the peas and set up all the decoys in the dark, have the old spinny thing and, and then just, yeah, sit in hides on the corner of farmer's fields when the peas are coming through and yeah, some days it's just a free for all.
0: When they, when they were doing pigeons and that, like what normally happens with that? Is that a year-round thing? Is it only sort of when they're planting and cropping? How does it sort of generally work over there?
1: Yeah, I just shot them on, off the peas. So when the peas are starting to come up, like pigeon can literally decimate a field of peas in a day like a farmer can go to all of that effort to plant all the seeds and everything. And as they start coming up, they can just wipe them out. Like peas are so you got to be on it with peas, but not just with the pigeon for deer and all sorts too. You know, everything seems to love peas. So yeah, I only ever shot pigeon off the peas with a couple of other guys. We had access to um, some, some farmland. Um, so yeah, seasonal and yeah, in the kind of coming into the springtime.
0: What about deer hunting over there? Was that something you got yourself – what age were you, sorry, first off when you first moved to Australia?
1: I was 21 when I moved to Australia, and I probably really heavily got into hunting when I was probably 16 in the UK. I was fished pretty much since I was five years old. Um, But, yeah, probably 16 really in the UK when I started to hunt.
0: So I guess that I guess it's the same for deer hunting. You got to get access to to private property to be able to go deer hunting over there.
1: Yeah, well, my uncle was a was a deer warden for our local council, so he had access to three or four um, public land woods. You know, woods where you woodlands where you can go for walks with walking tracks and and um, dog walks and stuff like that. So he was quite highly um, qualified. So in the UK, you've got to do the deer stalking certificate, where they call DSC, and there's up to level three. And he had to be qualified up to level three to cull in public land without shutting the place down. So we would go there, you know, kind of a couple of hours in the morning, a couple of hours at night. We wouldn't just sit in a, in, in the woodlands all day. And um, they would, they'd put a high chair up if we wanted it. We could just shoot off sticks. Um, stalking, not so much in the UK. The woodlands aren't massive. Um, not more just kind of a sit and wait or sitting sitting sit in a high chair off a, off a track or it's they're quite thick too. A lot of the woodlands, so you know they put the high chairs up in a spot where you've got a good vantage point and um, yeah, it's all seasonal too. So monk jack Bucks are in a certain season. Munchy doe in a certain season. I think I think maybe Munchy doe you can shoot all year round. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. It's been a long time. And fallow have a season. Roe deer have a season. Reds have a season. So, you know, whenever it's you know fallow season, a massive red stag walks past, but you can't shoot it. Kind of thing. You know, it's just how how you know Murphy's law.
0: I think one of my friends that's uh, on Instagram that I follow, he's shot one of those jacks and i always oh, telling him, I go, is that even a deer? It doesn't, doesn't look like a deer. It looks very weird looking <laughs> like a large dog. <laughs> is that a deer? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Definitely. They were probably our most shot deer, I would say, that and roe. Um, yeah, Monk jack they're a small looking deer and they've got um, tusks as well. So they've got antlers and tusks.
0: Yeah, I know. It's what do you think about? I mean, just in general about the the hunting in England. Do you reckon it's a, a bit of a tradition? I mean, and how does it? I guess how does it change between when you come over here? The differences between, say, hunting over here and hunting over in the UK.
1: Um, well, you've got like the pheasant shooting, where the gamekeepers spend all year um, breeding pheasants and then releasing them around, you know, kind of this time of year towards Christmas, December time of year, and they organise these these hunts with, you know, a lot of upper class people. And, um, it's very traditional, very upper class, um, totally different to, to, you know, sitting in a high chair culling deer. Um, it, it's got, it's got it all really. I mean, people pay a lot of money to shoot pheasants in the UK on, on private property. Um, but then again, you can drive around with a spotlight on private property and and bunny bust all night long if you wanted to do that too. So, um, we definitely don't have the wilderness of somewhere like the Victorian high country or, or, or endless stalking, backpack trips. We, that isn't available to us over there, um, which, you know, which is a shame, but that's just how the, the you know, how pop, the population and, and everything else, I guess.
0: It's interesting because I've seen the, some of the rabbit populations over there and there's certainly a good amount of rabbits to shoot over there by the looks of it too.
1: Yeah, well, we used to do – we used to shoot a lot of them with air rifles just because we shot that many that it was, um, so it was more cost-effective. So we had Webley Raiders and BSA Super 10, so magazined um, air rifles with gas cylinders on them. And uh, we'd put – I remember once we'd put 100 pellets in the um, – slugs in, in the cup holder in the center console of the car and we drove around this these fields and said, right, what, however many we've got left, take that away from a hundred and we know how many we've shot. And I think um I think when we went to grab one, there was none left. And we go, Oh, we kinda shot a hundred. We kinda shot a hundred and yeah, we, we shot a hundred rabbits one day. Yeah,
0: I know. It's I've seen my mates who does sort of bit of long range shooting and that over there, a bit of hunting on the rabbits and uh yeah, it certainly looks like, I mean, I like that too, so a bit of one of my fortes too, but yeah, I was like, for such a, I mean, I guess it's, it's fairly densely populated. I'm surprised you get so many, I mean, you obviously get your farming territories as well, as well, and I just thought, wow, so many rabbits, I mean, I, mean, I guess that's where they came from, from over there, we get them here too, that's where they came from.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I've done a bit of rabbit hunting here, but there's definitely bigger numbers in the UK. I mean, it, it's not like there's public land rabbit hunting in the UK. Like, we're talking about showgrounds, big showgrounds, paddocks, hay farmers, chicken farms, stuff like that, where we were hunting. Like, it's all private property with all permission. Um, and that's the type of um, hunting grounds we had.
0: Even when you're over there, when you talk to the farmers, I mean, hunting, I mean, we know we get the aunties here and all that, but is it generally accepted by the, the private owner, you know, farmers over in the UK, hunting that yeah. is?
1: Yeah. Um, look, I used to sh- shoot on this chicken farm, I used to shoot foxes and rabbits on the chicken farm. They, they really liked me, having me there, and the farmer would um, would would go around in his tractor and would drive around at night spotlighting, and, and it was quite accepted. He didn't really want to do it. He didn't want to... He didn't want to shoot rabbits or foxes, but he was more than happy to, to drive me around. And and we had a good, we had a few good nights doing that. Um, the, the, the fox hunting thing, I don't really want to get into the political side of the fox hunting side of thing, but yeah, that was, that's definitely, um, obviously banned now or, or the traditional way has been banned and, and that had a bit of backlash and, and wasn't very popular. Um, but I think, yeah, overall. Um, it's probably very similar to Australia. It's more of an upper-class sport, I would say, over there than it is here. Um, yes, yeah, it's difficult to tell. Different cultures, you know, even though we're very close, you know, we, came from, we come from very similar backgrounds. But, um, yeah, the culture is quite different. And everything's native. Most, not everything, but most things are native animals over there, like obviously our rabbits, our foxes. Um, roe deer stuff like that are are all native where in Australia you know unless you have a permit to cull to cull roos we don't really have many native species on the in in the sites do you know what I mean
0: yeah I guess the I guess the weather's a bit better here than it is over there
1: (laughs) yeah for sure definitely
0: (laughs) anyway guys
2: quick break and we'll be right back Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spycar, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers Flexible zero interest payment options, including afterpay and zip pay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. All right, Ross, how did you end up in Australia? So it's either one
0: of two things it's always work or it's a woman, it's one or the other.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, um, I guess. So yeah, i had done an apprenticeship through Peugeot in the UK and, um, I'd finished my apprenticeship, done a few years on the tools and, um, just thought I'd do the gap year thing. I was a bit late for it. And I just thought, you know, at 21, I'd do a bit of the gap year thing and came over here and I was only here, uh, two, six, six weeks to two months, I guess. And I got a phone call from Peugeot saying that there was a job in Melbourne if I wanted to do that. And, uh, and, yeah, basically, yeah, and then the 457 visa came up pretty quickly and and, and that was it. And, yeah, ever since stayed, ever since really.
0: Yeah. And what was the – what do you think of the process? I mean, especially with coming – probably have to come a permanent resident, would you, I think, to get your firearms licence? What was that like? How long did you have to wait to – you know, before coming a, a citizen or a permanent resident to get your firearms licence?
1: Yeah, well, I did the the 457 thing when I first came over here. So that was in May 2011 and um, very easy to get the 457 back then and and quite cheap. And then when Tony Abbott came in um, a few years later, um, because I came in with the Julia Gillard government, uh, he just upped the price of that visa massively. Um, So my next visa was a lot more money and – made me realize, oh you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay? Blah, blah, blah. So we decided to go down the um the permanent um resident route. But then so I'd I was shoot, I was hunting with a bow, came came over here and got into bow hunting and fishing pretty quickly. Um and I had a couple of friends that were taking me out with a rifle, you know, under their supervision on private property and stuff like that. Um, and then I applied for my firearms license and said, oh, we don't approve any firearms license to temporary visas. And I said, oh, well, I've gone down my permanent residency route. And they said, oh no, you're, you're only a temporary permanent resident. So I'm like, okay, how does, how do you, how can you be a temporary permanent resident? But apparently there's a bit of a probation. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of a probation period. Um, built into the, to the visa. So yeah, I had to wait for that. And then once that had, um, once I'd finished that probationary period and I was a permanent, permanent resident, uh, I applied again and they just gave me like a, like 10 item list of things I had to do. Like I had to prove, um, good ties into the community, um, I had to prove that I had a reason to shoot, um, that I've done, I've got other links to the community that I've held a job down. So yeah, just basically a lot of evidence and letter gathering from people that I'd hunted with people that I'd worked with. Um, and yeah, and and obviously I got approved in the end, but yeah, it was just a little bit different for me than what it would have been for, for an Australian citizen.
0: So what'd that take? A couple of years was it, or how long did that sort of take to get through that process?
1: Uh, from when I probably first applied, when I thought I was eligible, it was probably probably a year, maybe, maybe less. What about the time from
0: when you landed, sort of thing? How far was it from there?
1: Uh, it was eight years from when I oh, landed wow. to when I got my my firearms license back. Wow. Yeah. So I probably spent four years on the bow. I probably I spent four years drinking to be honest, Uh, (laughs) drinking and fishing um, and messing around. And then, yeah, and then when obviously I've been with my partner a while and and you kind of grow up a little bit and you realise, yeah, I want to get back into it a bit more heavily than, you know, just every now and then. So, yeah, uh, yeah, got the bow and got pretty serious with the bow but never managed to really seal the deal with a samba.
0: Um, And And that's actually a really good thing you brought up there. I mean, when people are coming into the country, I'm glad there's sort of a way to – for people to you know, be able to get out hunting without, even if they want to do the firearms route and it is going to take some time. I mean, it's great that we can get out with a bow you know, pick up that relatively quickly get your, your game hunting license and pretty much be able to get out there as well i mean i think that's that's a bonus to that current system that's a little bit weaker when it comes to firearms as you said how long you know by the time you got here you know, eight years i thought oh maybe two years not eight years but just goes to show that it's great you can actually get out the bone, at least do something whilst you you know if you have your plan to get your firearms license to do that but you can at least get out there and do something in the in the meantime
1: yeah, and the bow hunting was interesting because I I kind of had a bit of a taste for it in the UK, but it's it's to- it's illegal there. Bow hunting's been outlawed, so yeah, for the for me to come over here and 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 get away into hunting and bow hunting was was a win win.
0: I agree totally. What's um, hunting in Australia? So when you first you're obviously living down in Victoria, so what was the first sort of animals you got out to hunt? How does that you know differentiate between England? Was it you know. What sort of animals were you hunting when you first came?
1: Yeah, awesome question. Well, I think in the UK, getting a getting a, a like a two four three rifle to hunt deer was incredibly difficult, but getting a shotgun was was a lot easier. So, pretty much all of my mates, bar one, so uh, you know, say fifteen twenty of us, the majority of them would all have shotguns and just used to shoot birds, just with feather, just all feather guys. And there was only two of us and then my uncle that actually wanted to go and chase deer um but then when I came here it was way easier for for me to go into the you know thick high country and and chase Samba in the hills than it was for me to try and get a shotgun and and shoot ducks or anything with you know you got to do the whip test there's no pigeon here um you know there's no crow hunting you know crow shooting and and stuff like that 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 doesn't that's not here so so yeah it was very different for me to you know the staple of hunting in the uk was birds for them just to go straight into big game
0: do you (laughs) do you miss the pigeon shooting or the wing shooting
1: um i think i did so much of that there over deer hunting that i was actually pretty stoked to get into um you know, to get back into big game hunting, but I do look on Instagram and I see some of my mates and they've had, you know, a ripper a day on the peas, you know, shooting 80 or so pigeon that, um, you know, and the dogs, all the dogs we had, all the Labradors, the Spaniels, you know, I miss all of that too. That, that was a big part of it. And that, I do miss that side of things. I miss probably hunting with the dogs more so than, um, than actually shooting pigeons.
0: Is this your your home from now on or would you ever head back permanently or or this is your home now?
1: Uh I would say this is this is probably my home now. Um pretty in a pretty serious relationship with my partner and um yeah, it's exciting times in the future. I've started my business and yeah, look, I'm never say never, but um yeah, this is my home at the moment. I got, you know, five times more here than what I ever had in the UK and whatever I did have in the UK is, is no longer there or lost. (laughs)
0: <laughs> true i know i always ask this question and um, uh, please don't take it as prying but i always ask a lot of different people we spoke before the show and you said you're you're right in the stage four lockdown there so you're you're in the city for, i'm guessing to be correct so when you meet someone what do you sort of say to your to your partner when you go hey listen i'm a hunter <laughs> i know sometimes in sydney for me it doesn't end well you know so what was what was uh, reaction um to to your hunting when you first sort of? you like to go hunting
1: Yeah, well, my partner's uh, mum's side of the family have got a property in Trafalgar in Queensland uh, called Trafalgar in Queensland in Charters Towers. So, yeah, hunting and and raising livestock – it wasn't a big deal for her and, and they used to go up there every year and, and you know, they see it all firsthand. So for her, it wasn't too much of a big deal, but a lot of her friends and stuff have no idea about that. They don't understand it. They don't get it. And sometimes you just can't argue with, with people. I think sometimes meat eaters are the worst, um, they're happy to eat meat, they're happy to cook it, they're happy to go to the supermarket, but when you say you've shot something and they can come home, they can come around, and they see the antlers on the wall, they're just like, "Oh, why would you want to kill that beautiful creature?" but then they're happy to eat it. It doesn't it's hard to argue with that. It is too. I've
0: got a mate like that, one of my best mates. I'm still a school friend. I've still got two good mates that I went to school with. I've known him for, geez, now probably 30 years. And, you know, his missus is like, you know, she's nice, but she busts my balls occasionally, you know. And, oh, well, why, why would you do that? And, you know, make videos of bunny busting out in the field or whatever, helping farmers out. And I'm like, you eat, you've got meat here on the table. Like how many cows and chickens and, and, and pigs have you guys eaten in this family of like four kids and two adults say over the last you know 12 months even let alone the last say 14 years since you've been in the house like it's just we've got to get real here you know and she goes oh yeah okay all right fair enough
1: <laughs> well, yeah i always say to v veg- like vegans always say something to men and I go, okay, well, what's the answer? We all need to eat more vegetables. They go, yeah, yeah. I said, well, do you eat peas? They're like, yeah, we love peas. I go, do you know how many animals get killed every year for one field of peas? I said, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if we got rid of all the cows and sheep and everything else that we eat and we just planted peas there, I said, more animals would die. You know, because yep. there's hundreds of deer on, you know, that we would shoot on pea fields in the UK. Thousands of pigeons would get shot on pea fields. All the pesticides killing all the bugs and stuff. You know, it's just it doesn't make sense. What are you going to do? Plough the world? It, you just can't, can you?
0: <laughs> nah, true. Anyway, just quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au.
0: Mate, what about, was there any surprise, when you started hunting here in Australia, did you think, you know, what sort of surprised you about the the hunting scene in Australia? Was there any surprise that you thought, oh, that's interesting? Or
1: You know what really fascinated me more was the, the backpack trips you could do into like a wilderness area that was like incredible you know that you could take a gun on your back with a backpack with your tent you could go and you know walk for however long you wanted to and and camp there for a few days and yeah that was what was the biggest surprise for me because that just doesn't really exist in the UK um look you can go hunting and camping but you're camping in some farmer's field you know what I mean yeah um there's very very little wild camping in the UK um and especially when it would be combined with with hunting. Fishing's another story. Every lake um in the UK when you buy your swim, you know, most of the time can come with a peg for a, for a tent right next to it too. Um, but yeah, hunting's not that type of thing. I mean, I, I know
0: for you, you had like families that were, you know, in the gamekeeping and that, but what about just for general people in the UK? I mean, getting access and is it a, if you're a hunter, is it that thing where people like, where when they buy firearms go, well, it's actually quite difficult to get access or is it quite easy to get access sort of when you're hunting over there?
1: Uh, I think it's all, it's more what you know than, who, um, it's more who you know than what you know. Like your local DFO can help you out a lot with land access. Um and other bits and pieces. But for me, it was more my uncle's contacts pretty much got me all the land I had. So I had, um, uh, I had, um, a chicken farm, which I used to shoot on. And I also had a hay farm, which I used to shoot on uh, the chicken farm was three or four quite large paddocks. And then the, uh, the hay farm was probably three kind of small to medium sized paddocks, which I used to hunt bunnies on. And we used to go there for pigeon as well. Um, so yeah, it is difficult to get land access. One of my best mates, he um he lived on a farm. So he had a farm and his brother was the was a deer hunter as well. He was pretty much the only other bloke I know knew that had a two four three um back when I was living there and used to shoot deer as well. Um, but yeah, if you were just I think if if this was the other way around and I'd came I'd come from Australia to go and live in the UK without having some initial contacts, I think it would have um it would have been more research but i did i had to do a lot of that when i came here you know i had to make contacts here uh you know joining the ada and going to meetings and finding people on instagram and sending people messages you know i probably could have had a similar sort of success but yeah it's definitely um you know there's no no public land to go and hunt
0: yeah i was talking about one of my friends he mentioned it probably he's from england up the northern part of England, and he said when he was getting certain firearms, and maybe you can confirm this is true. Uh, like when you're buying certain type of firearms, he goes, "Oh, we you know we get up to that sort of six point five, and then beyond that, they really start asking questions about these higher calibers." And I thought, well like if, if how bad our laws are here—not the greatest. I mean, interesting, I guess, in regards to land access, land size, how where caliber becomes a problem as that caliber goes up higher than say your 6.5s into like your two seventies, uh, your thirty eight. Six, I guess, three out of WIM mags and so forth. So is that is that correct? Or
1: yeah, definitely, that's definitely correct. Like when my uncle wanted his two, four, three, the police said, "Oh, we want you to do it, this." Um, I think it was called it was called something stupid like SAS snipers school or something like that. It was legitimately called something like that. And they go, oh, "We want you to do this two day course or one day course or whatever it was." um before we before we sign you off on a on a two four three. But shotgun was, was relatively easy. Um but you have to go to the police in the UK first and say, this is the gun I want. Can I get this gun? Bit like an a permit to acquire. And they go, yes, that you can have that gun. Then you go to the gun shop and they go, oh yep, yeah, you can have a Tika T a three hunter in a two four three and and they pull it off the shelf for you. They don't like it if you've got two of the same caliber in firearms high caliber firearms. So um, you know, if you had two two twos that were the same for whatever like they wouldn't they wouldn't really like that. Yeah. Um shotguns was fine because you know you might have a you know a clay gun, a double barrel, a semi-automatic shotgun, and that never really had any issues with that. But yeah, I remember my uncle, he went out and bought two um 22 rifles, one for him, one for his partner, exactly the same, and the police didn't like it
0: yeah crazy it's funny how here yeah, i mean i guess they're getting a little bit like that here with you know wanting reasons why you've got two of the same caliber but you know sometimes you're hunting sometimes you're you know lying on the side of a hill you can have a you know more of a heavy barrel varmint styled firearm with the other ones are more of a sporter style yes you know, so so many different things and so many different firearms for so many different needs and requirements
1: yeah well that's it i mean look we had a lot of guns back home a serious amount um but yeah, they did they did, they definitely did want to ask ask the questions. You know, if you wrote uh, your acquirement, you know, a permit for acquiring a three hundred Wind Mag, you'd get probably instantly, you know, denied, I would say.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, it's always good to find out. I do like talking about, um, you know, people that come from other countries and finding out what they do over there, what they like to hunt. It's uh, Yeah, it's interesting. But talking about business-oriented, which is, I guess is the purpose of the show, you started a business in, you know, firearms products and maintenance products for firearms. So what really prompted you to get started in that particular arena?
1: Yeah, I found that, you know, I always wanted – wanted to use the right oil for the job um being a mechanic for you know the last 17 18 years and um working with metals and oils every day and seeing the difference that you know oils make into different engines even though it's still an engine still a petrol engine or a diesel engine but different oils do different things um you know always wanted to buy the right firearms oils you know to fit for the purpose um but just was always disappointed that I would go for a wet hunt I would you know shove the you know, come back from the hunt, shove it in a bag, try and dry it off as best as I can. And then, you know, on the drive home almost or over the night camping, you you develop some rust spots on the car, on the, on the barrel. Um, and yeah, just wanted something that was, I knew that there was, you know, there's good quality oil out there and there's oils that have been on the shelf for 10, 20 years. It's, it's old technology. You know, the, the metals bang up today, uh, the bluing, the Cher- Cherico, um, the paint on them, you know, all of that stuff's all bang up today. Um, but the, you know, you, you're disappointed and the, the firearms oil isn't cheap that, that you buy from the gun shop, you know? So um, anyway, after losing my job this year, um, and speaking to a couple of the oil reps where I was working, I was working as a foreman, uh, they were pretty gutted for me. And and I just kind of pitched the idea and said, Hey, look, I, I want to, you know, start my own firearms maintenance kind of, um, and supplies business. And, you know, I'd like a, I'd like to get a real good oil. And the oil wasn't meant to be this big thing. You know, the oil was meant to be, I was going to do all these different things and the oil was just going to be another product. But, um, basically with, you know, the latest and greatest in 2020 oil technology and, and using a lot of stuff that's in car engines and stuff like that to kind of get the, the, the right oil for the job. Um, and they were, you know, Andrew, the guy that, um, my contact there, you know, he really got behind the project, was really quite excited about it. And uh, I didn't think he, he thought it was going to be as involved as it was. He probably thought that he had another product on the shelf that was going to do the job or, or it was going to be a, a quick, easy formulation. But um, yeah, it was a bit of trial and error involved getting, you know, virtually odorless, no staining, no marking oil that was going to do the job.
0: Yeah, you probably answer my question there, but you said about the the right oil. So why is you know the older technology perhaps being left behind, and why? What is the right oil? What what makes the right oil in regards to you know being able to protect your firearms? Is there some new technology? Yeah, you know, what is it that makes it the the right type of oil?
1: Well, I think we've got this latest and greatest bonding um, additive in the oil, where all of our additives. It helps all of our additives bond to the oil, stay in there in a very, very stable format. I think that's probably one of the 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 biggest um, revelations in in this oil. Um, also, we just went with a really high class base oil. A lot of that um, other firearm oil is 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 you know a lesser quality mineral base oil. Where um, if I was going to be new to the market and produce something. Um, knew I wanted it to be the best possible quality to to start with the base and just move up from there. And, um, I didn't really know, I didn't really know, um, what the price cost was going to be, how much it was going to blow out by what the the oil was going to be. But I just wanted to start with, you know, the best oil we could possibly go with. And then if it was going to be super expensive to get it into the bottle, then we'd have to decide how we were going to go about it. But um, yeah, basically it was a kind of no, no cost isn't an issue. Let's create the best possible thing. And, you know, we didn't really want to worry about food grade and this and that. We just wanted to play around with everything that was available to us to make the best possible oil.
2: Yeah, quick break, mate, and we'll be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Ross, man, how, does it, how does a product, I guess we
0: spoke about it a little bit just a bit earlier, but how does it differentiate themselves from you know other products in the market? Because, you know, even I've got one, Freddie, mate, he swears by <laughs> WD-40. He goes, oh, mate, I buy it in five litres, and but I've never had rust on my guns. I've never had rust in my bore. You know, this is cheap. It's the best bang for the buck you can buy. Like it's, you know, $70 or $60 for five litres. You know, this is the best, you know. So how does it differentiate to these other, you know, I mean, I guess some of these products like your you know, lanolins that are coming onto the market now, your inoxes and lanoxes and your lanotex and, and that type of thing. I mean, how does it differentiate to those uh, products on the market?
1: Yeah, look, great question. Uh, We've done a lot of testing on WD-40 and we thought that some sort of WD product straight off the shelf would have probably done the job, but we found that a lot of that WD-40, 70% of that is a cleaning solvent and very little of that is actually a lubricating um, technology in there. So, I know a lot of guys that use WD-42, and they they use a lot of it, and you have to use a lot of it because it comes very thin in an aerosol can. It's an incredibly thin oil, and it it runs. So if you want to stop your gun from rusting and you want to use WD, you use a lot of it, and then it runs down your barrel and makes a mess on your stock. And also those cleaning solvents, they're the solvents that make those little black marks and darken up wooden stocks. Yeah, it's fine for a synthetic stock. And if you only have synthetic stocks, then... Yeah, if you want to do that, you can, but you're going to be using a lot more of it and you'll get an incredible fireball the first time you shoot out of it as well because 70% of a lot of that WD stuff is cleaning additive.
0: So when you were talking about, you know, doing, you know, test have you tested the product? How do you know it's not going to stay in stocks? I mean, what's your um, quality assurance been like? How do we know if I don't put that on in a year's time? Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to have issues with wooden stocks if I own those.
1: Yeah, well, we accelerated a lot of processes up by putting them in oil baths and, and heating stuff up to 40 degrees and and doing a lot of product testing on that. Um, in When we first started testing it, we tested it on wood pretty much straight away because one of the first things that one of my friends, another shooter said to me is, um, you know, oil eventually, you know, mineral oil, especially with cleaning solvents, eventually breaks down the wood and gives you dark spots on the wood. So if you can make something that doesn't do that, um, then, you know, you, you're well on a winner. So obviously we've mitigated as much of that as possible by by using bare minimal cleaning solvents in there. Um and the only thing we never really tested it on when we were first making it at the beginning of the year was, um, like, uh, Cherico and, and paint. So, um, I hit Rob Herbert up, um, from RNN blades. And I know that he does a lot of that, um, Cherico work with his knives and guns. So I said, Hey, um, can you, we've tested this on pretty much everything else. Um, can you just put it through some testing on, um, and Sherico as well, and a few other um, shooters that I'd followed and hunters that I'd followed on Instagram too that have got, you know, very, very, very expensive long-range guns. Um, I sent them a bottle too. I, I think I sent maybe 70 bottles out right at the start to to people. Um, I sent a couple out to some military guys and other bits and pieces just to test them out and, and, and see. And, yeah, they're all just great reviews straight away. So um, I think that the biggest thing about our oil is – how it bonds we basically we've put a magnetic additive into our oil like you know say for instance you know you hear about the castrol magnatec oil that you put in your car engines we basically put a very similar additive in our oil so it actually will stick to um to to the gun and it doesn't run as much um but the first batch we did um we found that it picked up a lot of static it picked up a lot of dust it wasn't un, it wasn't unlivable so i went back to them and i said hey is there anything else we can do and they go oh we can actually put we can actually put an anti static additive in there as well so and it just literally I was like once we did that and we got and we got another sample batch and we started testing that and it was just like overnight you could see the change in in the oil that it was just incredible. So, yeah, we, we basically were on to a winner then, and we knew that that was going to be our final, the final blend.
0: When you sort of did that, the inception of the product, how long did it take from when you sort of started producing, not producing it for the final product, but start saying, right, well, this is what we're going to make until it started selling? How long was that period?
1: Well, I think our website's only been on for about um, – a month or two. I think maybe we're in our second month of the website. Like, I like, I mean, as in eight weeks of being on let me probably actually probably less than that, probably about six weeks. The website's being on while we've been selling it up to our full price before then, when we got the first serious batch going was probably about three months ago. And, um, after like after a good six months of testing, um, yeah. So we, and then we were selling it just off Instagram, at a discounted rate with free postage for a while Um, and we sold 100 bottles within that kind of first three months on there and and yeah, we went from there really. And what about, I
0: mean people are going to ask firstly two questions, can you use it inside and outside the barrel, in the ball and outside?
1: yeah absolutely it's perfect for inside the barrel um, It's perfect for the entire gun um look we don't recommend putting it on your stock to make it shiny if it's a wooden stock, but yeah it's perfectly safe for that and a lot of people are doing that too so um yeah you can you can kind of use it as your wood oil as well and mineral oil you know they it is safe for for um for wood. Um, so yeah it's just really the 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 additives that we've put in there um are, are safe to use really so our oil is 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 a highly refined base oil that you know would be considered a food grade mineral oil and then it's our additives that we've put in it to make it that 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 bit better
0: what's the you know when your application what's the you know, preferred application of of the product obviously doesn't come from what I've seen. Doesn't come in a in a spray or anything like that. So, what's the best way to to apply it to the firearm? Obviously, patching or something like that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that's patching and um, and on a cloth is probably the best way. But yeah, we wanted to avoid um, the aerosol cans because obviously you have to um, you use a lot of oil and you lose a lot of oil in the canning process, and you have to thin the oil right out by using um, more of those solvents that we didn't want to use. So that it's thin enough to spray. So, yeah, look, probably um, what I do is I I soak a patch in in my bore solvent. Uh, run it through the bore uh, backwards and forwards. Then I run the the copper brush through the bore and then just patch it until it's dry. Um, Depending on how dirty it is, if I want to soak, put another bore solvent patch and brush it a bit more. And then once it's all dry, I'll soak a patch in the oil, probably need about five drops, and I'll push that through. Then I'll get another clean patch and do another five drops on that patch just to give it a bit, just to oil soak it. Then I'll push that all the way through the bore and back out. And then just maybe three or four drops on the barrel and gun action bolt, everything. And I just wipe it over with a microfiber cloth, um, just to give that sheen. And you can actually see it. It, Oil kind of semi dries to create like a, a film. It it creates a, uh, A film all over the barrel and you can actually see it on there Um, you don't need very much of it at all, you need a lot less than pretty much any other gun oil we've tested Um, so a a little bottle of 50ml will last you a very long time
0: Excellent mate, last break and we'll be right
2: back The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. May just want to find out, you
0: know, you had different have it different sizes or is it just a one size bottle that will last you a while. And, and one other question too, how do you get into all like the nooks and crannies is it, is it just sort of rubbing it on and trying the best you can, or what's the best way to get it into, you know, you got firearms, you've got the barrels, obviously, you've got those little nooks and crannies in the actions, or if you've got like a rail on top or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, I like to use, um, cotton buds. And I also like to use one of those three piece, um, um, barrel, um, rifle rods, but I just only use the first bit and I put the, my ends on there and patches on there. So I've only got, you know, like a three, four inch, um, rod and I can get in with that in, in up inside where the magazine goes. And I just do the, the oil soaked patch method really. And, and, um, and, and cotton buds.
0: Yeah. All right. Seems to be, what's the, uh, people have been getting in contact with you? Has there been you know good results or what's the best way another question too what's the best way to sort of you know obviously put it on do you need to apply it regularly if it gets wet do you need to reapply what's the situation there?
1: Um well in the testing we found that it's a kind of like it's almost like one of those um, ceramic coatings where it seems to last a very very long time like initially i gave it to some hound guys um and they you know some you know they'll hunt in any weather so their guns are going through the bush in, in absolutely torrential rain and i've heard guys say i don't really look after my gun but i've put your oil on there and i've gone in hunting in torrential rain i've come back and um i've just stood the gun up in the safe wet and i've come back and the the water is still beating on the outside of the gun and the oil hasn't come off like it doesn't rub off easily it, it's the the coating stays on there and it creates a very long lasting coat
0: yeah very good any other plans uh you know adding to the future and i wasn't sure sorry did you answer the one about does it come in different sizes sorry if i forgot that
1: uh, no, it doesn't come in different sizes. Well, I've had a few guys say, "Oh, you know, I want to buy a hundred mils or whatever," and I say, "Look, you can just buy two fifty mil bottles. You won't need a hundred mils." And and it, like especially knife guys who are making knives, they've sent me like a message saying I've done two hundred knives and i have I'm not even halfway through the first bottle, and every knife's had a coat when it's left the door. Um, so it's you know it, it go, a little bit goes a long way um, with that oil. It just spreads out, thins right out and creates this this film on there that just is so hard wearing and lasts for a long time.
0: Any other plans to add any products in the future like any anything you want to do or any ideas coming up in the works?
1: Yeah, um, we're hoping that by the end of this year we've released two more oils. We've got two more oils in testing right now. Um, we've also got a bore solvent, which has gone through testing and is done. We're just working out um, packaging, and we need to find basically some aluminium tins to ship it in because it's a very, very strong um, solvent. So it's going to be all in one. It's going to be you know any carbon deposits, copper, all in one. It's very strong abrasive. Um, so, yeah, it's very opposite to our, to our oil. It's, it's you know, it's totally – our know, oil is very gentle, very soft, does a lot of protecting where the, our bore solvent is, you know, a sledgehammer. It's going to go in there and get everything out, start with a blank canvas. Uh, we've also got a, a food grade, um, a food safe – blade and knife oil for the you know, professional chefs and guys that are using knives purely just for meat processing. Um, look, our premium firearm and tool oil is going to be perfect for all your knives, but if you're worried about toxic uh, chemicals and other bits and pieces and it is purely just a knife for, for processing meat and you you wanted to you know use a bit more oil, then we've got this, um, it's a plant-based blade and tool oil that is the latest of 2020 technology as well. Um, and we've also got like a we've got a high pressure um, lube which has been developed too and and has been tested. We're just trying to um, fine tune the smell on it a little bit, really. Um, so that's more of your oil for your clay pigeon shooter, your guy at the range shooting two, three hundred rounds on a semi-auto or a lever gun that just wants that added extra bit of lube, more of a lubricating oil than just a protecting oil. Look, our multi-purpose is going to do the job ninety-nine percent of the time, but if you you're, you know you want to shoot 500 clays a day and you're opening and closing that shotgun or it's a it's a straight pull and just something that's going to have the staying power to last you know all day long in in high heat and and you know in those type of conditions
0: yeah absolutely mate very good um so firstly which is one of the things i forgot to do where do they go to the website or if they want to find you or ask you questions or whatever it may be how do they find you how do they order etc
1: Yep. so um, our website is just www.highcaliber.com.au, spelt the American way, Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook, and, yeah, we're we're very busy on the socials answering um, people's questions, so any questions they've got, they can shoot us an email. So the email is info at highcaliber.com.au, and that's on our website as well um our instagram is high caliber cleaning supplies and so is our facebook um and we're on there we check it all the time so yeah we'll get back to you within the hour any questions you've got um yeah that's basically it of where to find us
0: no worries man finish off with a story tell us a story that my listeners might be interested in Uh, yeah anything personal accomplishment hunting story whatever you like
1: I think really, um, I think the oil, just um, finding the oil uh, has been probably some of the biggest accomplishments and the greatest stories. I think in the early days of the oil, when we were testing it with, um, you know, a lot of, you know, people like Rob Herbert and um, and other YouTubers and other hunters and just some personal friends, they're just getting some really great feedback on the oil. I really like the story about the, you know, the the hound hunter that went out in torrential rain and left the gun out. And he said to me, he said, Oh, my gun was shiny and I thought it was still wet. And I was really upset that, you know, your oil hadn't done the job. And I said, mate, my oil's not designed to, to stand, you know, a torrential rainstorm. And he goes, no, I went up and looked at it and it was still the oil that was on there. It wasn't the water. It was the oil. And, you know, I think that was a really good, story and just the amount of messages I've got from knife makers as well to say that they've used some sort of food grade oil, which, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is just, is just a canola or or olive oil based product that with no added additives in there. And saying that, you know, by the time that a knife got to the front door of a customer, it was, it had some rust spots on it and they found something that does the job. You don't need much of it. It's cost effective. And, um, and yeah the it stays on there for a long time
0: well ross thanks for coming on the show mate i really appreciate it so ross joins me here from high caliber cleaning supplies talking about uh his new products also immigrating from england what he likes to hunt uh ross thanks for that really appreciate it we'll talk again soon thank you
1: yeah awesome can't wait for another chat soon thanks very much
0: you've been listening to an episode of the australian hunting podcast I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.